and thank you for joining us for In All Things, a weekly podcast of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. I'm Rachel Joseph. Your host for In All Things is Dean Weaver, stated clerk of the EPC. The motto of our family of congregations is, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. Now, here's Dean. And thank you, Rachel, as always, and thank you to those of you who have tuned in again for another edition of In All Things, a podcast of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. It's a delight to have you with us today, and we don't take that for granted because we know you have a lot of things that you can be doing uh, in your time, a lot of podcasts to choose from, a lot of good ones out there for sure, and the fact that every once in a while you decide to check and see what has dropped on a Friday afternoon at the EPC, it's a gift to us that you listen in and that you share it with others and we do encourage you to like us on social and share with others as you are able, and we're grateful for that. We have an exciting conversation today. As you know, in our first year of doing this podcast, we kind of focused largely internally, introducing the staff of the Office of the General Assembly, a lot of our leaders, promoting EPC authors and thought leaders, trying to just better connect all of our congregations with what God is doing through the life and work of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. And on occasion, we would have a guest come in who were kind of bringing a broader kingdom perspective to bear. And while our first year, our focus on the audience was largely internal, as we now start our second year, then we are closing in on around 10,000 downloads uh, in our second year, which we're really excited about. We're going to continue to share some things coming out of the EPC, but we hope to broaden our scope a little bit and have others uh, who are part of the faith community listen in and participate as well, because uh, the EPC is part of a much larger movement of the mission of God in the world, and we want to be able to speak to what God is doing, not just in our little corner of the kingdom, but in the, the larger scope of what God is doing uh, throughout the United States and, of course, around the world. And our conversation today is going to be one of those where we uh, have a conversation with one of our, we call them fraternal partners. It's another way of saying this is a, a sister denomination that we have a lot in common with. And so we want to just have that conversation today with Nate Driesman. Nate is the executive director of Ecclesial, or is it Ecclesiastical? support for ECO, the Evangelical Covenant Order of Presbyterians, uh, and we'll unpack that title, very impressive title, in just a few seconds. But Nate, welcome to In All Things. Glad to be here. It's yeah. exciting. <laughs> <laughs> now that you've seen uh, EPC World Headquarters, it's it's singularly impressive. Absolutely. Yes, yes. It's uh, we, We're putting him through the shock and awe campaign, and, <laughs> and once he's, it's kind of like visiting Washington, D.C., right? Once you see it, you're kind of like, wow, really? I, I think I want to be EPC, too. So Right, that's exactly what was going through yeah, my mind. This is all yeah. part of our grand design. <laughs> we're trying to woo you into the, into the uh, EPC family. Well, before we get into our conversation with Nate, I want to uh, remind you that this episode of In All Things is brought to you by the EPC's Emergency Disaster Relief Fund. Many of you know that we have a domestic fund and an international fund. So, for example, uh, whether it was uh, helping to support Syrian refugees or the crisis in the Ukraine, or more recently uh, here in the United States, uh, the victims of Hurricane Ian that hit southwest Florida, really all across the state of Florida. We have made some substantial investments, particularly with two of our congregations in the Fort Myers area that were at ground zero for that devastation. The flood and tidal surge cannot be overestimated in terms of the carnage that was brought there. And we know from First Pres Fort Myers and New Hope in Fort Myers that we have at least 70 families from EPC churches that lost everything, everything 
during Hurricane Ian. And that means your contributions to the EPC Disaster Relief Fund could not be any more timely or important. We do not take any administrative costs out of what's given. If you give us $100, $100 goes to disaster relief. If you give us $10,000, it all goes every penny of it, to disaster relief. And having been on the ground and watched how those two churches are responding missionally to the needs in their communities, caring for their neighbors, loving on them well, and sharing the gospel, I can tell you it's a great investment in a kingdom opportunity that makes a real difference in the lives of the people in Southwest Florida. And it's a very practical way in which we can love our neighbors, which of course uh, Jesus has commanded us, invites us, has modeled for us, and uh, lives within us so that we can do those very things. So if you want more information on that, go to epc.org slash emergency relief, and you'll find an opportunity there for a way in which you can give and contribute and make a difference, whether it's you individually or taking this back to your church where you might take up an offering. Uh, Whatever you're able to do is going to help your EPC family, particularly in the Southwest Florida community. So let's uh, turn the corner to um, the state of the church today. We were just talking before the podcast began, and we were talking about kind of this unusual setting that we find ourselves in, Nate, in terms of the the status of the church kind of post-pandemic. So your position, which is an executive director of Ecclesial Support, unpack what that means and how that is kind of positioning you really to serve the church. So the position actually up until last January, actually encompassed everything in the church. So from (laughs) discipline, all the presbyteries, ordination. So they thought the executive director of everything was maybe a little too broad. Right, right. So they just said ecclesiastical, and of course, uh, that just encompassed everything (laughs) in the church. Uh, And fortunately, we've brought on a new executive director for leadership, Lisa Johnson, and so she's doing ordination and lay leadership development, which is fantastic. So I'm focused on discipline and presbytery functions and all of the things that are happening within a local church. It's a fantastic position to be in. I often get asked, are you uncomfortable? Is it sad when you're dealing with disciplinary cases or challenges within a, within a church? And I find the work to be very fulfilling, hard, challenging for sure. But what I see is God's work in the church, even in discipline, I see God's work in the church. And it's an exciting adventure to be on as a denominational leader, which I never thought I would say in my life. <laughs> right. But nobody I, wakes up when they're like 13 or 14 years old and says, you know, someday I think I want to be a denominational leader. No one says that. And even after I took the role, it took me about two years to get settled into yeah. I'm really living this life. But our posture, and I know this is your posture also, is we're here to serve the church. And so wherever we can help to support a local church, whether it's in revitalization or whether it's through a challenging disciplinary case or pastoral surge or transition, we want to be there for the local church. So I get to do all those things. And every day is a new adventure. So, yes. I mean, I like playing in big sandboxes and I get to play in lots of different ways. So yeah. I'm struck by the fact that, and I've not read your book on discipline, but I'm guessing because we kind of come from the same source that as Presbyterians, the foundation of discipline is really restoration, right? And so that hard work is not about being punitive and guarding the rules. It's about restoration and helping a person live faithfully into the life that God has intended for us. Right. It's really coming from discipleship. 
or a lack there of discipleship. I've noticed in a lot of conflicts that I'm in, in fact, I want to say almost every conflict, there's a discipleship issue. Whether it's a session issue, a lack of discipleship, whether it's a pastor that is struggling in their discipleship, and that discipleship issue then continues to cascade into the issues of discipline. And in so often is the case, what our polity allows for is that people can walk alongside and name that with you. And as an elder or deacon or a pastor really hears from their colleagues and begins to get a sense that this is true about me, we work towards restoration. And so few of our cases actually end up in the PJC setting. So many of them are walked through in a way that we come up with an alternative form of how can we restore you in a way that's going to draw you first and foremost closer to Christ and what we hope will be eventually restored into into ministry. Right. Not every case can be like that, but many can. Yeah, and that's similar in the APC, mm-hmm. Nate. We uh, Very few cases ever rise up to the level of a PJC. They usually resolve in one of two ways. One is the very challenging, very difficult, very hard, very deep work of restoration, which is personal and profound and long and and challenging, but also rich and and rewarding. Or sometimes that person or even the church self-selects and says, we, we don't want to do that, and they choose to separate. And we see that also. Yeah. So let's back up a little bit. Let's, and I'd like to do a deeper dive into discipleship, but before we get into the disciple part of it, let's talk about the kind of cultural place in which that's occurring, right? As we look at our culture coming out of the pandemic now, discipleship needs to look different right? Because the discipleship, a lot of the, I, I think we're realizing a lot of our discipleship was a lot thinner than we thought. It wasn't as substantive as we thought. And the pandemic kind of shone a light on the fact that maybe our discipleship wasn't as rich and as robust. The kind of idea, the kind of discipleship that perseveres, uh, whether it's in persecution or whether it's in opposition or whether it's just being in exile, maybe our, our discipleship isn't really prepared us for the reality of the world in which we live. So what, what's the reality post-pandemic that, that you see the churches are facing that's causing this crisis of discipleship to kind of come into highlight? I was in an ecumenical gathering recently, and as we were sharing what we were seeing in our own networks and denominations, everyone came up with some similar things. So we're seeing less people coming to church. We're seeing even people who would say, this is my church, the average of that person's life in the church went from 1.8 Sundays a month down to 1.2, right? And so how do we engage in a covenant community with someone who is not all in on most Sundays or even, you know, every Sunday? We're seeing the numbers shift a little bit, but but some of the numbers that we've looked at in the 90th percentile of churches in decline. So that means 90% or more of churches in America are in some state of decline. We see that. That is, I mean, that's a challenge that means what is going on in our, in our system? How are we doing church? There's, there's profound questions that we have to ask in, in our engagement of culture and how we are sharing the gospel. You know, we really believe the gospel never changes, but how we share the gospel has to change it to, in the context. And so how are we engaging the people of God in all the different places that we are serving across this country? And as someone who travels a lot, like I know you do, Dean, Different regions need different 
approaches on yeah. how they're going to reach out with that same gospel. So you're really talking about what what missiologists call you know missiological contextualization. Right. It's this idea that you know how evangelism is done in Texas might be different than California or might be different from Florida or New York. Those contexts will dictate some of those nuances, but it, it all starts with kind of a, a cultural exegesis, right? Right. You, you have to be able to be those sons of Issachar, the people who can kind of discern the times and know how to be able to contextualize. I mean, missiologists spend years trying to understand their culture, but because we've grown up in it, we don't think that we maybe need to do the hard work of realizing that the landscape has changed and the old ways of doing church just maybe aren't going to work as much as they used to. Absolutely. And in fact, anyone that did not understand what you just said, if you don't understand cultural exegesis or contextualization, that is the next place you want to take your study leave to engage in a conversation about that. I actually went back to seminary to get a master's in cross-cultural studies in order to be able to really think about how to contextualize and how to exegete my culture well. That master's is so profoundly helpful in everyday life in thinking about how we how we process through all the data that we're seeing and how do we continue to think theologically and missiologically in this culture that we're living in and really this cultural moment. A a 101 primer for those who are listening in, if you just want to just get a taste of what Nate is talking about, simply go to the epc.org and um, you can download a resource there of Ed Stetzer, who spoke at our last General Assembly, and it's really compelling. And if you watch those three videos of Ed Stetzer's, you will get in a very condensed period of time a crash course in cultural exegesis and where we live today. And there's few people better than him to be able to diagnose where we are in terms of our society. Oh, yeah, he's great. We've had him at our ECA's National Gathering also. He knows his stuff. He is someone that you can you can trust and really dive in uh, yeah. to what he's seen especially with the American church. So let's uh, let's pivot a little bit towards discipleship then. Mm-hmm. If we kind of dig in and we say, okay, this postmodern, post-Christian culture, this place where the church is kind of frustrated because at post-pandemic, we don't even have the same people in the pews anymore. And, um, you know, I've heard guys like Tom Rainer say, you know, you got you to gotta preach to the people who are there, not the people who aren't there. But you're preaching to the people who are there to help, like, reach out to the people <laughs> who, who aren't there but they may not necessarily be the people who used to be there. There's people who've never been there. We've got to disciple people in such a way that they're able to reach their neighbors, their coworkers, their friends, and their families with the good news of Jesus. And this is now people who, who have no familiarity with the biblical narrative. They have not grown up in the church. Certain practices that we take as commonplace in defining our communities, such as the sacraments, um, make no sense to them whatsoever. And so you almost have to start kind of at at ground zero. And if you were to go there, Nate, and start at ground zero, how would you guide a church to consider developing a discipleship program that was going to fit the times in which we live? I would say a couple of things. In fact, I, I was just with a group of pastors, and that question came up. If you were starting again in a local church, what would you do? I would personally take one to three people and begin to disciple them for six to 12 months with the expectation that these people who were 
already some place in their journey of faith would commit to discipling one other person for the next year, that would be one of the first things I would do. I would start with whoever is the most spiritually mature. A lot of pastors will start with whoever has been elected into leadership. I'm not convinced that always at the elections there are finding the the deepest disciples in our churches. I want to find people who really have a deep discipleship. I want to be in a discipleship relationship with them, and I want to teach them how to disciple others. So that's the first thing I want to do because that's the long term. The short term is I want to make sure that we all have a common language. Mm-hmm. So how we are preaching and teaching is not assuming that anyone knows certain things. I want there to be access for people who are just asking some of the beginning questions, but enough meat there that people well on their way to discipleship are finding new truths um, within the gospel message. And I also want to make sure I'm communicating reform faith because most of our churches really, I I call them, we're mutts, right? We're coming from all different places and theology matters. And so engaging in the theological conversation and how that applies to our lives, of course, is going to be important. So those major components need to exist. We have to teach our people. The other piece of that is how to engage in these same conversations on a regular basis in their life with their family, where faith is not just taught, but it's caught. We have to teach faith in a way that is going to be accessible to coworkers in ways that they can actually have the conversation. So we have to train people. We discovered And this is, I mean, this was very eye-opening for us. We discovered that 60% or more of our candidates for ministry could not clearly communicate the gospel when we gave them a situation and a context in 10 minutes, communicate the, the gospel. Now, they could theologically talk about everything and pass their ordination exams with flying colors. We could talk about chiastic structures. We could talk about Old and New Testament. They could pass all of that, but to effectively communicate the gospel, the full gospel, they were unable to do. And so we realized that even our pastors have to be trained or retrained on how to effectively communicate the gospel, but also how to teach others to do that, because we need we need that. So we so we have those those things first. We have a long-term plan of creating a discipleship pipeline where people are discipling people. We build that in. We have another plan that it's teaching the basics of the faith, and that continues to happen. And I think the third component that is so essential is that we teach people to evangelize. That part of it is the part where we get tripped up on as Presbyterians, as I've noticed. And then the last thing I would say is, and you and I were talking about this earlier, churches have to prepare for new people to come in. And that's really hard work because often churches are built for the people who are already there. But if you've ever gone church shopping or moved to a new place and felt like the outsider, that is a really hard feeling. Yeah. For the for those who are listening in, prior to this podcast, Nate and I were talking about the fact that because we travel a lot, we oftentimes pop in on churches and sometimes even unannounced, and nobody knows who we are, and we kind of sneak in the back, and we kind of see what a visitor or a first-time visitor sees, and it's a little shocking uh, sometimes when you realize, wow, this this whole setup, wasn't designed for the outsider to come in and, and feel like they understand what's going on, let alone that they're welcome. Absolutely. And and so it's helping churches to see that in themselves. I, I We train them to go after people to, to be secret shoppers. Hey, would you show up to this church? No one knows you. 
and then we're going to have breakfast on Monday or Tuesday or, or dinner. And all I want to do is take notes. What was your experience like? Yeah. And these types of things help to open the eyes to churches. Even if we evangelize, are people going to be welcome? Because we've never heard of second friendliest church in town. Everyone says we're the friendliest church in town, but friendly doesn't get very far. We want to be a church that is willing to engage in people, help them to connect with other friends, and to begin on a discipleship journey. And that takes intentionality. You talked about the idea of language. We have to have a common language. Any counsel on how to build into someone's discipleship the ability to have nuanced conversations that, you know, because when you're talking about biblical truth, it's not just always just simple black and white. You know, there's, there's oftentimes layers of complexity to get after how we minister to people in, in various situations. For example, people who deal with gender dysphoria, that is not a, an easy conversation to have. And typically people on one side or the other kind of like shout out their truth and then they shut down any real listening and conversation. And there has to be a way to hold firm the, the truth and yet have nuanced conversations that enable us to engage people do you have any thoughts on how to disciple people with that kind of a skill set? First, I think it comes to a foundational place where we have to make sure that our people understand our own theology. We have to be able to speak with language that is defined as we go. When I was preaching regularly, as serving as a pastor, I would always say, okay, this is going to be a dime word. This is a quarter word. This is a, <laughs> this is a dollar word. Sometimes I would say this is double jeopardy word. But teaching theology in a way that helps people engage and know this is hard, but you need to understand this because it actually provides the foundation to some of the harder conversations that you are having as a regular part of your life. That's first and foremost. And second, I think we have to role play this out, really literally role play some of this work out that we have to go to a class and not just hear information, mm -hmm. but have opportunities to practice with one another. How would I communicate this? It, the most effective counselors, the most effective missionaries and other other types of people that that reach out to other other folks are people who are practicing communicating with each other. They're practicing listening. They're practicing engaging in conversation. And sometimes I think we have the expectation that we can just hear something and go out and do it, but we actually need to practice. So that goes back to that kind of cohort you were talking about earlier. Like if you were to disciple people and you were to say to a pastor, pick three people, four right. people, that practice of that happens in that context, right? Right. It's really strange. We should have disciples that we are discipling and then they should go and see how we do it and try to mimic it and then figure out what would make most sense the way they're wired. I think we have some good examples of that in yeah, scripture. Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to say that's pretty much the gospel of Mark. Uh, that's like Jesus, you know, they, they sit at his feet and then he sends them out and then he brings them back. He's like, like, and they actually have to speak and do what he speaks and does. And then he debriefs it and then sends it back out again. So that seems like a pretty good. Right. I think we, I think we could trust that model, but, but I do think there is an important truth to that, which is we have to train our people. No one can expect that someone's going to hear something for the first time or even the hundredth time and know how to be a good teacher, a good communicator, yeah. uh, a good listener without some work to understand how to do that well. 
And I think that's the hard work. And I'll just say this, because we talk about this stuff a lot. One of the things we're noticing in eco was we had to redefine how long this is going to take. Mm. We're used to the eight-week series, the four weeks on this. In one year, we're going to read the Bible. We'll understand all of it, right? I mean, we, we sort of have this mentality that it's these short periods of time. And we know discipleship is not short. Building a discipleship culture is three to five years minimum of just engaging, engaging, yeah. engaging. And then another five to 10 years so that it gets rooted within a church. So we're talking a long-term plan that you're going to engage with. And I think that's the good work of the church. That's what we should be doing. I sometimes refer to that, Nate, as moving from transactional to transformational. You mm-hmm. go from the program in the class, which has good content, but what you're really talking about is is life-on-life discipleship. Absolutely. Yeah, so that's really rich. In our closing, uh, any words that you want to share as uh, one of the leaders of ECO and the Evangelical Covenant Order Presbyterians to your EPC brothers and sisters? Uh, any any good word beside like trying to convince them to leave EPC <laughs> churches to join ECO churches? Never do that. We, we really are so excited for what's happening in the EPC. PC. We were at the General Assembly uh, for part of the time, uh, Dana Allen and myself, and it was such a rich time and so encouraging to us to see truly our brothers and sisters at work having similar conversations, your approach to things. And we're just excited that we get to do this together yeah. uh, in different ways. Uh, that, that is a joy. So many churches and pastors have had the opportunity and communities to interact with one another. We have EPC and eco pastors in pastor covenant groups with one another. We're sharing transitional pastors with one another. We have people who are going through the Go Center at different points to learn about how to do revitalization well. I mean, there's just such great interaction between us, and we just hope to continue to build on that as we grow in our denominational life together. Yeah, well, and it started with you guys. You extended the invitation to myself and Jerry to join you at the gathering, and we had the same experience where we we really were richly blessed by being there. So um, we're looking forward to continued collaboration and kingdom work together because we think we have so much in common and opportunities for kind of resourcing and helping one another. We want to see ECO succeed. We know you want to see the EPC succeed because we all want to see the kingdom advance. Absolutely. So if someone wanted to learn more about ECO, uh, how would they do that? What information, where could you send them? So start at the ECO website. It's www.eco dash pres p-r-e-s dot org is a great place to start and from there you'll get connected with all the people you're interested in getting connected to okay excellent well thank you nate really appreciate the time today absolutely it was fantastic well my friends that wraps up another edition of in all things so grateful that you're able to join us today and encourage you to share this with your pastor with elders in your church with your family and friends and you can probably sense in the conversation between nate and i a genuine friendship and a desire to uh, support one another. And, you know, that's a what we would hope for in all of our churches, in all of our communities all around the world. So please pass that on and send it on to others as well. Uh, we're going to end, as we always do, my uh, friends, with that good word from God's word that comes from Colossians chapter 1. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, that's in our Savior Jesus, that's in him, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, things visible and invisible, whether thrones, powers, rulers, or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. 
He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, for he is the head of the body, the church. So remember, my friends, it may be the essentials unity and the non-essentials liberty, but in all things it is love, the love of Jesus our Savior, in whose name I bid till the next time we gather, grace and peace to you. Thank you again for joining us. On behalf of Dean and the entire team, we hope you will join us for our next episode of In All Things. For more information about the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, including a directory of local churches, online resources, and much more, visit our website at www.epc.org. I'm Rachel Joseph. I pray you have an overwhelming sense of God's presence in all things today.